0: Film and television, merely entertainment, right? No. There's so much more to film and television that changes our perspectives. And as a result, we can have different either realistic expectations or non-realistic expectations about what life is really like, whether it be horror that helps us develop a habit of turning every light on in the house, or a comedy that helps us relieve tension in the saddest times of our life. I want to go in the Wayback Machine and find out exactly what movie helped shape you. I'm Oma Shadi, and welcome to the Between the Bannisters podcast.
1: You know, how the tables have
0: turned. (laughs) The tables have turned. How the tables
1: Uh, have turned.
0: But um, yeah, we're going to do something a little different today, folks. So take it away, Tay. (laughs) <laughs> Hi everyone. Um,
1: I am a uh, Nania Taylor and my friends call me Tay or Tay Tay as Mo likes to call me. And I get the honor of interviewing Mo today about what movie Mo
0: <laughs> Labyrinth.
1: Labyrinth. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. So, I'm so Mo. Psyched. I am so thankful that you gave me this chance to interview you. So I'm just going to go with it. And I'm going to go with the flow. And we're going to talk about you a little bit. So sit back, relax. I got you. Okay. okay. Yes. So Mo, Moshate is a genre screenwriter and journalist for the Knicks Horror Collective and a co-producer of the 13 Minutes of Horror Film Festival featured on the Shutter Channel. With a concentration of psychological and possession horror in her writing, Her background as a trauma specialist and behavioral therapist provides a sturdy foundation. Mo is the creator of the course, Writing Trauma Respectfully for Screen, and was a guest lecturer for Prairie View A&M University's film and TV program. As a core member of NICS, she was recently partnered with the Stowe Story Labs to provide a fellowship for women writers over 40, working in a genre. You can find Mo's podcast, Between the Bannisters, where she interviews creatives on the movies that shape them on Apple Podcasts. Moe's most recent literary work can be found in a quaint and curious volume of Gothic tales published by Bridget's Gate Press and 206 word stories by Bones Press. Welcome, Mo. Yay!
0: <laughs> I sound so pretentious. <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. I loved it all. I was like, oh, I need to work on my bio. Hers is no. so great. Oh, man. I love it's it. A, I love it. I love it. It's a so, lot. I just want to ask you, why Labyrinth? Why? Uh, Well, first of all, I was a lashkey kid. Mm-hmm. So um, I think one of the best things my mother ever <laughs> did for us, she's gonna be pissed, was get, uh, getting HBO, uh-huh. getting cable, because uh-huh. I'm the youngest of three, we're all five years apart, and my mother, my parents got divorced when I was very young, and my mother went to school at night and she worked during the day, so literally it was kind of just us to fend for ourselves, and with that, you know, I really had a super, super active imagination and I would make up stuff all the time and I would, you know, talk to myself and act out plays by myself and my sisters would pick on me. And then Labyrinth came out. And in the beginning of Labyrinth, Jennifer Connolly's character is in full princess cosplay yes. and is reciting this book. And I was like, oh, I do that too. <laughs> I was, mm-hmm. I was in love with it. Cause I was just like, yes, other people do this and I'm not weird and I'm not yeah. by myself. Mm-hmm. And I, I am a sucker for anything Jim Henson puppetry. And I absolutely love it from like Fraggle Rock to mm-hmm. Dark Crystal and all mm-hmm. of that. And I loved the puppetry in this because I am terrified of dolls. I'm terrified what? of like marionette dolls, ventriloquist dummies. And literally the only things I can stomach of that arena is literally Jim Henson puppets. So I fell in love with it. And also this was not necessarily my first um, foray into him. I was really, I wasn't well-versed on his music then, but this is probably the date and time where I fell in love with David Bowie.
1: Oh gosh, yeah. (laughs)
0: And it, you it was shame
1: as little girls. Everything. I, like, I should
0: love this man like
1: this, but yes, no
0: doubt, no doubt. And it also started my love of villains too, because right after that, I watched Legend and fell in love with Tim Curry's devil character, darkness mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. So I think that definitely kicked off a lot for me. And interestingly enough, with the whole Bowie situation, if you look at my Twitter, it says that I'm a Bowie bulge enthusiast because. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> How can you not with that get up? Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think that that was for me like really understanding that, ooh, men. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I like. Men, um, and being like you know, I was only really like nine or ten at the time, which I think is I like know. when we have. I mean, I feel like as kids, like when we have that kind of like <laughs> twinkling in the undercarriage about things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, is, and that's that's okay. And I think that that was probably the first step into being like, what is this I'm feeling? I'm mm-hmm. kind of in love. So yeah, I think it just covers a lot of bases for me. You know, being a kid with a huge, active imagination and and seeing a lot of like the great taste that you love in one film, and mm-hmm. the fantasy aspect of it, and the good versus evil aspect of it is really, really cool. I don't know. I just feel like it's. I I'm in love with it. I mean, that's it's. I I'm I'm in love with it. I don't know if you see
1: that.
0: <laughs> I love it. I
1: also like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I love the fact, you know, you know, that Sarah, Jennifer Connelly's, um character, Sarah, she set boundaries. That's the first oh, time, you know, you sure. noticed in a movie, she had to set boundaries with him
0: mm-hmm. to be like,
1: no, yeah, no, that's, I, I love that about her character. Cause now as a, a grown woman, you look back at that, but to see that the that this, she had enough in her to say, no, I am not, I, this is a no for me. And I'm putting a boundary up of a no. It was, it was, it was good as a little girl to see that with that. Yeah. Like, yeah, she was falling in. You can see her almost falling and in, falling into his grasp, mm-hmm. but she had enough self to be like, no, no, yeah. I'm Absolutely. not going to fall for this. I I want out of this. I want my brother. I want out of this
0: yeah so and she, had, she had agency and she had mm-hmm. agency as a young girl mm-hmm. which was you know if you take something like um is <laughs> gonna hate me for this but he agreed when you mm-hmm. take something like um princess buttercup from like princess bride yes. who had mm-hmm. little little to no agency mm-hmm. um throughout the whole story i mean she was she was a, a really big uh plot device yes but you have sarah who is you know she boundaries with her parents and I think especially you know having friends whose parents had been divorced being myself at that age a child of divorce Mm -hmm. and having to blend families with someone else which my mother didn't through the whole span of me growing up my mother never remarried until I was uh, well into being an adult but having to contend with the fact that you are no longer the center of attention to your only parent Mm -hmm. and having to kind of fight through that and tell her father like you don't even ask me anymore you're not interested in me anymore Mm -hmm. and then to tell you know Jareth the Goblin Kings you know to tell him that no I'm going to challenge you no you're wrong I'm not doing this um was it was really important I think for me as a young girl to see that standing up for yourself and always kind of betting on yourself is okay. Yeah. Because we are taught to kind of like who we are in other people's lives is what quantifies us Mm -hmm. as women and Mm -hmm. as young girls, whose boyfriend we are, whose mother we are, whose friend Mm -hmm. we are. And I think that that was, for me, being that young was just like, yeah, she stood up to somebody. Mm -hmm. And like my favorite line of, and I still go back to this as an adult, And I hate that I do, but any, any woman or, you know, anybody out there that's been through like a traumatic relationship or even like an emotionally abusive relationship, Mm -hmm. um, whether it be like a toxic partner or a parent or a friend where she says, you have no power over me. Mm -hmm. And it finally all kind of crumbles for, for him. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of go back to that line over and over. As an adult, because I need to remind myself of my own agency mm-hmm. and my own boundaries. And I did not think that a movie that I fell in love with so young would have such a profound and long-lasting effect on me to keep drawing back from. Yeah. Like to me, that's so it's not weird. It's kind of um, it's kind of interesting and just being like, and and is a, a really big foundation of like why I started doing. <clears throat> the podcast is because we carry so much with it you know we carry so much of those movies further than being like oh I just really loved it Mm -hmm. it's to reference back to like a silly line you know written by freaking Terry Jones who Mm -hmm. did Monty Python (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um is is still formative to me now as as I as I reach my mid-40s um it was pretty (laughs) Pretty interesting. So I don't know. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know,
1: I was just making a comment how Jennifer uh, had agency and how I loved that as a little girl, seeing yeah. her able to say, no, to grown ups, no, I'm not gonna no, yeah. you're not gonna make me do what you want me to do because that makes you happy. So I I like that about her. Um, Now I I do have one question for you though. How would you, do you think you would have felt differently if they had cast Michael Jackson or Sting and I think they went to um, Prince and Mick Jagger. Like, would you think, how do you think it would have worked with that Cod piece, Um, if it was a Cod piece? I don't know, (laughs) I I, I, I think it was real but just you know, let me
0: dream that it's real, let right? me dream that it was real <laughs>
1: but how would you feel with michael jackson i think prince could have could have did did well i actually think steam could have did well i don't know about mick Jagger, mick jagger or michael jackson though even though i think my, michael jackson um he did a ghost little short film yeah, for one I of mean. his songs and he did a fantastic job in that mm-hmm. so he was a great actor too but i think when i saw labyrinth and, and i saw david bowie Mm-hmm. I think, and that was my first time ever seeing kind of like a, a singer or a celebrity in that in that form of fashion do something totally different where I was like, oh my God, this dude can act too. Yeah. Like he really can act too. Like right. it was wonderful to see him in that, but <laughs> how do you think you- Listen. In <laughs> t- um, Michael Jackson or Prince or Sting or Mick Jagger I don't know. or chosen?
0: I, I, I try to like paint myself a picture of how it could have because i feel like you definitely have with those men Mm for completely different movies because i feel like michael jackson is a great performer but Mm -hmm. he is an over actor
1: Mm -hmm.
0: like he kind of goes over the top unnecessarily so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. i think we would have had a lot more of a jovial movie Mm -hmm. than Mm -hmm. some of the darker parts because i mean he did Uh, the scarecrow in the whiz and he was very very good with that and Mm -hmm. played that part very well but I think there might have been a lot of more comedic things to him sting is really stoic and kind of stiff Mm -hmm. um so I don't think we would have gotten what we needed Uh, jagger I can't even (laughs) I can't even even, literally I can't even articulate what that would I just that's so strange to me Mm -hmm. um but Prince I feel like we would have definitely gotten a highly (laughs) a very like sexually tensiony kind Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. because he just had that air about him which you know as much as I you know love his music and things like Mm -hmm. that and the way the way he treated women was not so nice and he was very Mm -hmm. arrogant about a lot of things Mm -hmm. um so I think we could have had a a completely different movie with that Mm -hmm. and I think that Henson really wanted to go with Sting. I think he did too, and, and then yeah, his, his children talked them out of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. talked him out of it, and they were like, "Oh, Bowie's hot right now, and mm-hmm. you should definitely go with you this." Know. And I, I feel like there's parts of David Bowie that aren't acting in this; mm-hmm. like he's, mm-hmm. he simply is, yes, the Goblin King. And I think his meter, the way he says things, and even you can hear it in his music and in interviews that he has, um, his way of speaking and the syncopation. Mm -hmm. is naturally very much like Jareth it's very Mm -hmm. um it's very mystical and unlabored and sounds very calculated even though he's just an articulate man um Mm
1: -hmm. and fawning (laughs) listen listen I totally get it it. same way way. (laughs) When you said it, I said, like, "Oh, I haven't thought about
0: that for years." But I used to, I love that movie. I think about it because every day. of him
1: mainly, though.
0: Which, like, I come into my office every day, and here is my twenty-four by thirty-six poster of Labyrinth. <laughs> see, I know, I see him every day. Oh my god, I love it. But I don't. I can't imagine anyone else doing it justice the way mm-hmm. he did it. And mm-hmm. I think that that they both play off each other very well. Like you have Jennifer Connolly, who is still like a, a young actress and I can't remember if this was like pre or post she did a movie called phenomenon mm-hmm. with, uh, by uh, Dario Argento which was like this really creepy like girl who can call like bugs mm-hmm. <laughs> horror movie you know when she acted off of him very well mm-hmm. and I I can't imagine like a better grouping of people to to do it because outside of like the step-parents you have these two only humans in the movies <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other yes. than like the masquerade scene, which is like amazing. Oh uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. But yeah, I can't I can't imagine. <laughs> I'm still laughing about Mick Jagger. I I can't I can't fathom that being a thing. I don't even know what he would do. <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> him? In, can you imagine him in that hair piece? Like what? Oh my no. god. <laughs> I can't. Yeah,
1: I, I don't you can't see anyone else in it. I'm praying that they don't try to remake it they nah, are to... they are they are who are they trying to put I, in I, there i don't know There's i don't no know one, if... I, they need to they need a green screen they need to
0: whatever they call it a hologram david bowie back into each scene where is that they did with uh one of the actors from oh my gosh didn't they do that with star wars yeah where they they oh yeah, uh, yes luke oh, skywalker yeah, yeah. They, like
1: they put, a... <laughs> they put yeah. it over they space. just need to do that like and his voice so. mesh is this is no way that they can? I don't know if
0: they're remaking it or if it's a continuation of this I really don't have any idea but I feel like uh, I honestly don't know who's attached to it but I feel like I I, and I feel like anyone who has that who has that job Mm -hmm. of redoing something that is so inherent in the culture and such a classic that's a lot of heavy lifting to do and I don't envy them (laughs) <laughs> whatsoever
1: only, the only person who popped in my Plus. head is Sebastian Stan for some reason I do not oh. know why I thought of him for this I guess because he just did the Tommy and um Pamela oh, thing oh yeah I do he not was... know I haven't even seen that but for some no, reason I haven't either. popped in my head as in and I was like that's probably the only person I maybe. but I don't even know if the man can sing so you know I'll take Sebastian
0: Stan literally, literally anywhere anything <laughs> <laughs> anywhere I, oh. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. And it's so, morning time, folks. I really apologize. Like, it does take me like a good two hours to get like the Harvey Firestein out of my voice when I wake up. <laughs> Listen, like, you sound like hey, hey,
1: me. Hey, Tay. Listen, I can do But yes, Sebastian Stan for some reason popped in my head. But anyway, um, back to Laprana. Um, now tell me, give me a generalization of this movie of what you thought this movie was about.
0: honestly i've always thought this movie was about not discounting yourself or not being Mm self-defeatist um because i think where i what i've always taken out of this movie is that initially she feels very alone she feels very misunderstood she is struggling with not being the only one in the home anymore Mm-hmm. and then has to kind of go through all of these trials to understand her strength
1: mm-hmm. and yes
0: she meets you know first she meets Huggle and then she meets uh Ludo and then she meets Sir um so she has like kind of this you know scarecrow tin man lion thing happening like Wizard of oz mm-hmm. kind of thing on the way to the castle you know it's a very mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz way to look at things mm-hmm. And what she discovers is that the power is definitely not just with numbers, like she's got this group with her now, but mm-hmm. it's everything she needs is within her. Yes. And I think that's an, an incredibly important message to, you know, fanciful stuff aside, puppets aside. Um, I think it's a very important message to send to to children
1: mm-hmm.
0: because there's nothing more awkward than being a kid. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, than being a kid who just doesn't know their place, is still trying to figure themselves out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fighting for attention, not yeah. feeling brave, and yeah. you know, try self-discovery. And mm-hmm. I think that's so important is to let kids know that, you know, the power is always inside you. Yeah. Or, you know, the thing that's you are your your greatest, you're your greatest obstacle and also mm-hmm your greatest champion. So I think that's kind of what I always got out of it was mm-hmm. she needed to kind of be challenged enough to, to bring that out of herself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And there's pitfalls. You're going to fall into, you know, the trap of, you know, when he, you know, has her and she eats the peach and she's, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> tripping balls and she's at the mm-hmm. masquerade. Mm-hmm. Um, she, you know, you do fall into You know, self-deprecation, depression, Mm -hmm. you get, you lose your way, you lose your path. You get separated from the people that are there to help you. It's such a metaphor for growing up. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that was essential for me. And even as a little kid, I figured that out. Mm -hmm. And I think that was important for me to, and I think that's probably why it's, it's one of my all-time favorite movies because it gave that message in such a way, like it built it around. The nucleus of that message was like built around where all of these cool funny things were happening Mm -hmm. so it like hid this little nugget inside and at the end of the day it's like the hero's journey right so I think that that's I think that's how I feel about it (laughs) okay so what was
1: what was your favorite scene
0: oh my god impossible um (laughs) that was from the Cinderella play that I was in just so you know (laughs) <laughs> Impossible. I wasn't Cinderella. <laughs> oh, okay. so, Cinderella? No, was because I, was because I wasn't because I was middle, Cinderella? No, because it was middle school and I wasn't white and blonde, so I didn't oh. get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know. Um, oh gosh, my favorite scene. I probably can't pick one, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I think one of my all-time favorite scenes is when he appears in Toby's room. Yes. And he is just, like, full regalia, wind mm-hmm. through the, the hair, mm-hmm. and I just, like, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, David mm-hmm. Bowie, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. And, the, you know, and that's when he establishes, the, that's when the rules are established for the world. Yes. And I think that that is such an intense scene mm-hmm. because, you know, you have her being, like, eh, I'm still totally kidding, like, ugh, mm-hmm. help um and he's telling her now you gotta gotta you gotta go through all this and Mm -hmm. best best of luck homie and see you on the other (laughs) side and she's gotta go into that and I think Mm -hmm. probably another one of my favorite scenes is the um dance magic dance
1: yes the dance (laughs) that's my favorite scene too
0: favorite Mm -hmm. Ah. I love it. I love it so much. I mean, there's so many scenes to that that I absolutely love. Like I said, the masquerade scene mm-hmm. is is amazing, and it's so well done. I mean, this movie was only made for two and a half million dollars. Yes. Which you know, obviously we. No, Ari, wait, wait, wait. No,
1: I thought it was made for twenty five million dollars. Was it twenty five? Yeah, twenty five. But it only made six million or two. Oh, get the
0: fuck out of here! No, it flopped. It flopped. I know well. but it <laughs> was so 25
1: mad. million, it was 25 million to make, I think. Oh,
0: well, okay. I was gonna yeah. say 2.5 million dollars.
1: Yeah, no, there's no way. It would have been no way with all the puppets and property I know.
0: Uh, I'm and I'm the
1: costumes. Heck, but, his salary alone.
0: <laughs> it was probably two point million dollars a day. <laughs> <Yeah>. Um <laughs> but I think like that, I think particularly that scene is interesting because you do see her kind of you know falling into his clutches a little bit Mm -hmm. but you have everybody else encircling her and if you watch this if you go back and you watch this scene
1: the the one where they're in the ballroom yeah the the one where
0: they're in the ballroom yes watch the masks of the people that look at her yes just write them down Mm -hmm. and go look them up in literature they're very I'm not going to explain it now but they're very formative in literature. And I think that was such a cool little Easter egg for that because it really speaks to a lot of, a lot of this story was, you know, kind of plucked from from fables and there's things that, you know, mean other things. You know, there's like Merlin, there's a lot of Merlin in there. There is a lot of like grim fairy tale names mm-hmm. in there. So it's just, it's just an interesting, I feel like the whole, the whole piece or even like the whole, naming piece of of the characters was definitely a nod to a lot of like really great fables but mm-hmm. like i said just watch the masks of the people that look at her because they know like <laughs> girl you're about to be stuck mm-hmm. um and then you know she she pulls herself out of that she she breaks the mirror and then mm-hmm. everybody falls down mhm and um incidentally to his song as the world falls down which is first of all the labyrinth soundtrack get on it because it's so good yeah um it's all organized by trevor jones and it's just amazing um but what was i saying oh (laughs) and then probably like the lady with all the trash on her back (laughs) yeah Yes, I love her. Mm-hmm. I used to chase my sister around and just say, get off my back. That's my sister. Oh, get, get off my back. <laughs> so, um, oh my God, Mo, shut up.
1: <laughs> what did you wish didn't happen in the movie? Oh. And you as a writer, if you had the opportunity to rewrite that, what would you have done differently?
0: Uh, you know what? I probably... There's probably not anything that I don't like about this movie, except there's one part, and I, I wish I knew what it says, but she's writing lipstick mm-hmm. on the stones to like, um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: find her way through. Mm-hmm. And one of the little creatures gets all pissed off and he flips the stones. And I really feel like he says something incredibly derogatory. hmm and I don't know if that's what really is said. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. I got And I'm I not saying right it right yeah, now. Yeah, like it's like he was telling her off.
1: Yeah. But yeah. it
0: sounds like he says something really terrible. And mm-hmm. I I don't know what it is. You would be a proposition to that. <laughs> yeah. So I would probably just be like, I don't know, make him like do gibberish in some kind of like, I don't know, brownie elven language. I don't know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, sprite. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Probably that's my only Merle bugaboo with it. And it's, mm-hmm. it, was, it was interesting to see, um, some like swearing in this movie mm-hmm. too, as a kid. Yeah. Cause I was like, Oh, Oh, nobody oh, minds. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the cussing, they got Muppets all over the place and they're cussing, yeah, muppets yeah. cussing the cussing Muppets mm-hmm. That's, our, that's cussing. our band name. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I think that's, that's probably it. Cause I would always have, like had like I felt like that's and maybe I'm 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 reaching here, but I always felt like that was a really problematic mm-hmm. line. But I'm like, maybe you're just hearing that it's problematic. I've never come across a script for it to mm-hmm. actually see if that's what was mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know. But I've always been like ah, I can't believe you said that. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a pearl clutch moment, but other than that, I, that's probably the only like um the only thing that I'd probably change.
1: Do you even know that um Toby the baby grew up to be a
0: puppeteer? Yeah, he's um one of the puppeteer sons, right? Yeah. Oh, crazy train. Yeah. I was like, oh wow,
1: he and his up- name is
0: actually Toby. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that uh, I, I I saw these little tidbits because you know I had to go and you know catch back up with this because it's been a while since I saw. Yeah. That. Um, But uh, I was reading some, you know, background information regarding it, and they were saying that Toby, the baby, mm-hmm. Jim Henson wanted to put him up on a wall <laughs> and the, you know, the staircase scene, the staircase. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he wanted to actually put him up high on a wall, and you know, his his the, the father and the the wife were who worked on the set were like, "Now you gonna lost your mind, now, Jim? You're not gonna put our baby James. up on." <laughs> on, on, on a wall, you know, where he and he's like, Well, we'll have people down there to catch the baby. <laughs> if you, call, you know, the they're baby. like, Well, you lost your mind
0: now, Jim.
1: In Jim, case you your mind
0: plummets, uh, there'll be people there to catch him. There'll be people there to catch him. Oh my God. We've got there'll two pillows, two pillows stacked. He'll be fine. <laughs> okay. um, but one tragedy about this is the huggle puppet. Yes. Is somewhere somewhere like it was? I don't know, in... He's in
1: a he's in a he's in an airport airport museum. Yeah,
0: of lost um, luggage.
1: Yeah, as 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 what? that have gotten lost in the airport. So he's in a he's in an airport museum displayed as one of the things that have gotten lost in the yeah. airport. Luggage that has gotten lost in the airport. That's how oh, I'm like fucked how, up. how do
0: you lose Huggle? How do you use Huggle and not come back to get him? And don't come back and get him. Like, how much money do
1: you spend on this costume?
0: Correct. Um, I'll buy i buy Huggle. I'll probably mean, creep creep me the hell out just sitting I in my mean, house. Listen, I will be fighting that thing every time I Right. <laughs> <laughs> like fucking Annabelle. It's just in different places in the house every
1: time you get up. <laughs> you show up, he's standing above you. You'd be like, what the <laughs> be like, hey Tay, like <laughs> Chucky. <laughs> Hello, hello, Andy. Oh my God! Yes, Huggle. Um, what was one of your favorite? Was Huggle your favorite um puppet on there? Oh, you know what?
0: I did like Huggle, but my favorite is is always Sir Didymus. Oh, I love Sir Didymus. I love him so much because he's just like he's just so like machismo and like over the top when they meet Mm -hmm. him
1: Mm -hmm. because he's
0: like you know he's defending the bridge and you know he's like no nobody crosses without my permission and then just without my permission "Uh, can we have your permission he was like ah never thought about that (laughs) 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 and and I love that and and her dog Merlin is ambrosius so it's it's funny how that oh and you know what dumbass me did not realize that until like five years ago (laughs) really okay ah head injuries um (laughs) but I feel like he was my favorite because he just has he has this like uh he gives a more brevity too I think because he's just he's just kind of out there and wild and doesn't Mm -hmm. give a fuck like he'll battle whoever and Mm -hmm. he's you know just down for it all and Mm -hmm. then also incredibly loyal to someone he just met Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I think is is super, super cute. And I think I just I just like the way he he carries himself. He reminds me a lot of myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he reminds me a lot of myself because it's just like, I will be like wild and out there, but I'll also be the friend that's just like, I know you didn't talk to my friend like that. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's like a freaking pit bull. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I cut myself down, but I love it. I absolutely love it. And what is your, um,
1: personal allegory regarding Labyrinth?
0: Ooh, um, I think my personal allegory for it is that when you are a kid who feels, or even like any point of your life, when you feel like my life is not where I need it to be Mm -hmm. and you kind of sit there and think, this is not the trajectory that I planned on, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel... I'm screaming into the wind here. I feel very unseen and and unnoticed. How important, and it's going to sound super cliche, <clears throat> but how important self-love and self-trust is. Mm-hmm. And understanding that you really don't have anybody to impress but yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, counting on yourself and betting on yourself is really the only way to go. And And we talked about it a little bit earlier about how not to be self-defeatist all the time and I think that's especially you know for me you know being a creative in like music and in writing we get very self-defeatist a lot and that's where our imposter syndrome comes from
1: mm-hmm.
0: is that you know in this in this film you know Sarah felt she needed to play a character in order to overcome something yeah and then she did, mm-hmm. she had to play this role. She had to play this labyrinth game mm-hmm. in order to, at the end of the day, say all the power that I have is mm-hmm. been with me the whole time. <clears throat> like I said, it's a very Dorothy Gale, you know, click your, the power has been inside you the whole time, Dorothy, click your heels and go home. But I think my allegory for it, it's <laughs> kind of going the long way around, mm-hmm. is to just, um, your journey is always going to be different from somebody else's. Mm-hmm. And there there are, people you're going to meet along the way that are going to support you. There's going to be people that want to see you fail. Yeah. But at the end of the day, as long as you have yourself and you trust in yourself and you realize that you are more powerful than you thought mm. is when you come out the winner. Oh, that is so good. That is so I tried
1: good. <laughs> <And> <laughs> a little, and yeah. that little goosebumps from that. That is so oh. good. Oh it's my God. <laughs> So you know, with that, I don't think we can you know follow that up because that was so good. That was on, on such a good note to I hate yeah. That was to fun
0: this,
1: to end this because I oh. love talking to you all the time. But I know, I feel like that is such a good note to end our interview on, and I just want to thank you okay. so much for
0: allowing
1: <laughs> you, me to interview you. I know
0: I had I needed Tay because Tay is Tay always has my back and she is one of my biggest support systems and she is my my sweetheart and this was cool and I, I, I really wanted to do this because well, first of all I have like five other movies I could talk about but this one was was really important for me to kind of get when we go talk about golden girls oh my god I'm like I'll wait for us us to get and
1: just like really get into golden girls like I am so ready for us to talk about our favorite uh
0: episodes our favorite characters all that so let me know when you're ready listen listen I'm ready anytime because I will tell you every single plot hole from all seven seasons I'm ready to do it (laughs) <laughs> so let me know and how they have influenced us
1: and what then you know i would love to do that so let me know when you're ready to right oh know.
0: absolutely absolutely see now we got it we got them salivating for the golden girls episode which i love I so i am very excited about it but hey thank you so much for interviewing me it's interesting being on this side of the table it's so fun um <laughs> But yeah, so me, like I always ask everybody where can we find my stuff? You guys know you can find me on Twitter all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Between the Banisters is on Apple Podcasts. It's also on SoundCloud if you're on that as well.
1: What are you working on?
0: Oh, Um, currently I am working on uh, pitching my novella, which is five stories about Mm -hmm. how um, the psyche of um, man kind of kaleidoscopes and justifies um, all kinds of dirty deeds. Mm. and then I am currently working on my novel about uh, kind of circles around uh, the summer of a rash of teen murders in the 1980s in Rockland County so Mm -hmm. and it's really 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 fun so yeah that's what I'm working on right now is two novels and I'm currently working on a series pilot for an adaptation of one of the Ray Bradbury stories that I love really 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 a lot so I can't share that because that one is kind of. <laughs> I'm,
1: excited to, I'm excited to hear when you're ready to like put it forward. I'm so excited to hear about it. I'm excited for you as always. Um, Between the Banisters is a, you know, has been a great uh, launching pad of, of, of showca- showcasing, you know, writers and creators. And I just want to thank you for creating this, this, this podcast for us. Um thank you. This has been wonderful. I guess like I guess I want to I guess wanna toot your horn just so much because you you do so much for the writing community. Um and you deserve every bit of success of your own. Because Oh my God, Tay don't
0: have me crying.
1: (laughs) You've got so much. And so it's just time. It's like time for you know you to get some shine. So I love that. I got this chance to interview you and to, you know, people to hear your light, to hear your gift, to hear how your brain works and what has influenced you. So I'm just very, very happy to be the one to, to, to take this time with you to interview you because the world should know that Mo is here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And that's why she's my friend.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes. All right, y'all. Thank you so much, Tay. And we will see you next week.